Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 982 with Mickey Basque. It's about we, especially in the restaurant community. We need each other to grow. No question. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Ovation. Creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant every time. But the ways to find out what's actually happening with your guests are terrible. That's where Ovation comes in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave you positive reviews and unhappy guests to share what happened. And it gives you specific ideas to improve. Ovation, it's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's OvationUp.com. Up.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by One Huddle, a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. With One Huddle, you can onboard new employees up to 45% faster. There was actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven that you can train your employees 45% faster. This just isn't fluff. This is real stuff. One Huddle, this new and improved way to educate your staff will train translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the guest experience in both front of house and back of house, i.e. menu development, just learning the menu, POS, limited time offers, food costs, things like this. To learn more, head to restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. That's the number one in huddle, like a football huddle. And when you use that link, you can get access to one huddles game shop, 3000 plus on demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. One more time, restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it more butts and seats and that's not it if you are interested in this head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp that's rsp for restaurant systems pro www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash rsp with excitement allow me to introduce to you today's guest co-founder of ben's friends unofficial mayor of charleston and lover of life and people Mickey 
Bask Mickey, my man. Are you feeling unstoppable what today? What a introduction. <laughs> I am in love with you. Thank you very much, my fan. I'm falling in love with you as we go, man. I really am. You're just a positive ray of energy, dude. And you're funny, and you're a good time. And I see why Scott Shore said you've got to talk to this dude. While Scott you're who? Time. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I already forgot yeah. who he was. You know him. I know the guy. Great guy. Great guy. <laughs> he was a great guest, too. We actually just talk, talked to him last night, and uh, he really did say great things about you, and he said, he, you know, you have to get this guy on the show. So here we are. You made it happen like with really short notice, too. So thank you so much for doing that for us. Uh, I can't wait to dive into who you are, the stories you have, the knowledge you have, uh, but let's get that motivational, inspirational, ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? You know, you just hit me with this, and I haven't really thought about it. But know, today, I'm going to go, because I am going to talk about Ben's Friends throughout this yeah. as well as its impact on the restaurant industry. So today, I'm going to go with sobriety is my superpower. I love it, man. Mm-hmm. And that, that's really near and dear to you. Why, why is that such a, uh, an important subject for you? Because... Your audience doesn't realize this, but I'm one of the older generation in this industry. I did restaurants for 48 years. And through that time, I have witnessed so many brilliant people destroy their lives. I got sober 40 years ago, and it has been my superpower and the key to my success. And I am doing everything in my power to help others who are struggling like I did. So that's why it's so important. We'll talk about that later. We'll we'll pull back layers on that for sure. Um, Where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Honestly, I usually give myself about an hour before interviews to kind of get an idea of who I'm talking to. This is such a short notice interview that I just, I'm just taking Scott's word for it, you know? Uh, So I really don't know that much about you. I know you have an incredible career in the industry. I know you were with uh, Charleston grill before retiring. 18 years. 18 years. Um, and I think you owned your own places at one point, Yep, correct? Yep. Um, but I'm kind of just going to – I love going into conversations with pure curiosity. So I have a feeling after meeting you already for a little bit and just staying curious, this is going to be interesting. But where does it make sense to start sharing your story? Sam. Sam was a waiter Okay. when I was a kid. You told me the story about being in restaurants mm-hmm. with your parents from yep. the time you were three. Yep. I had the privilege of coming from a family that was – Uh, economically sound Mm -hmm. and I was introduced to restaurants at an early age and I will never forget Sam at a restaurant called Lully's in Detroit and Sam used to make me feel like I was a king Mm. and it wasn't for me about the food it was about how Sam made me feel and I loved going there because of Sam. Mm. I didn't think about this for the next 15 years, but I thought about it on the first day that I ever worked in a restaurant because Sam put into me the, the knowledge of what hospitality was. He taught me that to make people feel good was a gift. Mm. Unfortunately, I think I was given that gift. So I'm going to give you a little a little background because you want it. Before you give me that background, I, I want to know, because I feel like there's a great opportunity to give an example right now. How did Sam make you feel like a king? What did he do? To Sam make you feel treated like a king? me at seven years old 
like I was the most important person in the room. Wow. Every time by his warmth, by his love, by the touch of his hand on my shoulder, by the hug that he gave me, and by the little gifts that he would give me when I walked out of the place. I sat down, and Sam was there to make me know, mm. Mickey, you're here, yeah. you know, in his thick accent, which I can't do. Yeah. But Sam, Sam had an innate ability to make me feel like a king. We tend to love what loves us. Oh, there's no question about yeah. it. And sort of one of the central concepts in hospitality. Yeah. You know, there's no question. You gotta You're going to find throughout this whole thing that I'm not as focused on the food. I'm not as focused on the service. I'm focused on what restaurants do to make people transport people to a place where they feel better mm. that's the magic of my success that's if awesome. there is success can you pick up your train of thought before i, I yeah you? A- absolutely <laughs> so so you. i had no concept of doing i came from a family of doctors um i was not supposed to be a restaurant guy i was supposed to be but uh, something happened around 13 and i found this magic elixir called drugs and at 13, at 13. wow and uh, I had my first drunk at 13 where they found me face down in the snow uh, in the middle of winter, obviously. I mean, I and, shouldn't be laughing, but yeah, I kind of want to chuckle at that a little bit. But it's true. It's true. If it wasn't for uh, my, my friend's sister, I might not have made it. Wow. But something about it appealed to me. So I never thought about restaurants and what I was going to do until I was 21 years old. I had made a lot of money doing illegal things. And I loved going to this restaurant in Newport Beach, California, on the Balboa Peninsula. I loved, right on the ocean, I loved the energy of this place. And one day the owner of it said, I need some money. I can't do this on my own. Prior to that, though, he had said to me, my doorman didn't show up tonight. Could you help me and check IDs? And like the greatest drug I ever did, I stood at the line, at the front of the line, laughed with people, talked to people, sang songs, and I had a night that to this day, 50 years later, still resonates with my being. And I fell in love with the restaurant business that night. And then I bought the restaurant into the restaurant and we had a phenomenal run on the ocean in Newport Beach, California. Uh, picture windows looking out on the beach. It was it was every night a party. Yeah. And every night, and there was John Wayne, and there was Joey Bishop, and there was Telly Savalas, and there was Hugh Hefner's girlfriend, Barbie Ben, uh, what was her name, Barbie Benton, and then there was everybody else laughing and yeah. having a ball, and I clicked with that feeling, and I clicked with the feeling that I got of making these people have fun. Mm. And that became my passion. 
to be quite honest. I lost that restaurant to my alcoholism and, and drug addiction later on. So you became a partner. Yes, I became a partner. I bought into the restaurant. Wow. So when- Not knowing a damn thing about <laughs> restaurants. <laughs> <laughs> but knowing that I love being there. Yeah. So I think you said you were 21 at this time? Yeah. You're 21, first time 22. restaurant. 22. 22. Early 20s. Yeah. Uh, first time restaurant tour. How long were you here? How long was how I? Long, yeah, like before you guys closed, how long did you own it? Well, I was there from 1974 to 1982. Oh, almost 10 years. Yeah. Eight year yeah. run. Yeah. Um, and let me just say. So into your early 30s. Into my early 30s. Um, I did everything. Before we announced my ownership, I worked behind the bar. I worked in the dish pit. I worked behind the line. I did everything to learn what I needed to learn to run a place. Well, you said your secret power like the thing that you're really good at is making people feel loved and happy, right? Mm-hmm. So what can you teach us about that after a, a lifetime of dedicating your life to making people feel warm, happy, and loved? What, how do you do that? You know, I, I teach classes to underprivileged kids, or I did. I don't anymore. And one of the things I always said in these, in these communities was, who goes to church? And I'm not a churchgoer, and this is not a religious moment. But there's something that you're taught about do unto others what you want unto yourself. And that's the premise of everything. How do you teach people? Asking them, what do you love? Yeah. How do you love to be made feel? Yeah, it's funny you mention that. I think I'm not a huge, I'm not, I was raised Catholic, uh, but I do see the power of religion. And I think that it's weird. We're moving into a time right now where we don't really have that structure. Like people, fewer people are going to church. Uh, I don't, I'm not saying that like the, whatever you believe, whatever your religion is, there's something there. I believe amongst all religions, the, the, the core focus is the same, right? Like do good, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think that like society almost needs something. Fewer people don't believe what, what, people used to believe uh but there's no glue like there used to be that kept everybody i mean what is what is religion it's culture right your beliefs your your core values and it, it, it keeps people going in the same direction and we don't have that like we used to what's you going know, through eric you just said something extremely profound that i really haven't dwelled on what the reality of the matter is i don't have much religion i never think about it it doesn't really cross my mind mm-hmm. and it didn't when i was young but the reality is just as you said we need something to fuel us together to help us once again see the good in doing good. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because I struggle at 70 years old. I, I, I do a lot of things in the charitable world and I struggle to get younger people involved. It's a fight. Yeah. It really is. Dude, what do we? Why? I don't know, but you just gave me part of the answer. Maybe it's not being ingrained in them, whether through religion or through attitudes of the family. Something's missing, mm. and that something is the need to give. Yeah. You know, and you make a great point. The church gave it to people. And that's something that you see the numbers declining and, and attendance. 
you made a great point there. Maybe there's something there. Maybe there's something there. We're going to start a new religion together. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But the point you it's made is It's called Unstoppable. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but I do think we, we could be better about echoing a set of core values, collective core values and beliefs and, and virtues. Uh, that virtue that you brought to the table was do unto others as you'd want done to yourself. So, so, so take it from there. Yeah, it, it it's, you know, I, I always say I think it's incumbent upon all of us to do good. But I think that everybody doesn't think that. And how do we change that attitude? I don't know. When you say incumbent, I'm it's incumbent. incumbent. It's, it, it's 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 something that we should be doing, mm-hmm. you know, in my opinion. Yeah, it's something everybody should be thinking about. What can we do for others? Yeah. Get out of ourselves. Yeah. I love that. We're true uh, ourselves. So 10 years as, or eight years as a, a first time owner, um, you're kind of reminding me of Scott Shore right now because you didn't have any restaurant <laughs> yeah, experience. None. You kind of That's why I like Scotty. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you learn? What were the things, the biggest lessons, the biggest evolutionary points for you as a restaurant operator? It is going to go back and you're going to get bored with this subject that restaurants are about how we make people feel. Yeah. That I can serve you a meal that you don't love, but if I serve it to you with love and I serve it to you with caring, you're going to like it at yeah. least, you yeah. know? Yeah. So you're I, you're trying to dig into I'm going to make your life really easy. <laughs> Here's the core of it for me. Plain and simple, there's nothing more important hospitality the art of making people feel good why well, yeah i'm sorry am i cutting you short no um i want to get specific examples specific things you would do to go above and beyond what m- most people would do to make others feel good run across the street and get us ice cream sundae for a kid who was crying mm. By make make suckers or special gifts for people who were coming in to surprise them, knowing in advance and anticipating their needs. But here's the important thing: it starts the moment a guest walks in with something that each of us is blessed with: a smile, mm. a look in the eyes. Look at how many times you walk into a place and nobody looks up. It starts, hospitality starts the minute you walk into a door and somebody extends their hand. My handshake has helped me help people have experiences throughout my whole career. It's the warmth, it's the look in your eyes, it's the caring that you present to them. It's the true feeling of excitement that somebody's coming into your home. Those are specific things that are missing a lot today. Yeah. You know? How did you prevent drift? And what I mean by drift is I think it's really easy to like wake up one morning, have some type of life like altering, shaking event that makes you want to show up differently, right? And you you show up doing all the things that you said to go above and beyond to make people feel seen and valued and loved. But the the wear and tear on life can pull you away from that that desire, right? You can get distracted by the details, the you know, the, the all the other stuff that can kind of bog you down in the restaurant industry. How do you stay centered 
center lined. You know, to, like, if this is your center line, what you just described to us, doing all these beautiful things, how do you not drift away from that over time? You know, you're going to find out that through my sobriety, certain things have become really important. Gratitude is the most important. I drift. I'm a human being. I am not always up. Yeah. I'm not always up, but I remember the things that I have. And when I was in the restaurant, I remember the joy that I selfishly get. By making somebody feel better. Ah, uh, I, I had this in my back pocket. I was yeah. waiting to bring this to the conversation. Yeah. I was going to ask what drives you to do this. It's magic. And I think that's what it is. I think that we, I think human beings, I, I love studying human behavior and what makes us tick and why we are the way we are. And what you just touched on is a big part of what drives us is, is in, in doing that, what you shared with us, making others feel loved. There's a reciprocation. And in you, in that moment, you're seen. I struggled all my career yeah. with asking the question, am I doing this because I love people or am I doing this because I'm selfish? And the reality of the matter is I'm not really sure because the joy it's I It's not get, as sexy when you put it that way. But it's true. But because it's the inconvenient re- truth, right? It's an inconvenient truth. But you know what? Knowing that I helped you at the last minute, helped you yeah. do this, gave me, you said to me, wow, I really appreciate you doing this at the last minute and working around it in the 12 hours. Yeah. But you know what? It made me feel good knowing I yeah. was going to help. I'm going to give you this. a public cookie right now because you made my my night. I was super excited when, when when Scott was talking about who we were about to talk to and what what kind of special person we were about to make an example of. And I got excited. So you, you made my night, man. Thank well, you very much. See, and then that <laughs> in turn. So, you know, is is it bad to think that you're doing it for selfish reasons? Could be. But you know something? It's a circle. It's a complete circle. I make you happy. Making you happy makes me happy. Well, you, you know, you pull back layers on this, and, and this kind of is a, a little bit of a segue into what we're going to be talking about later. But people in this industry tend to be, they get sucked into substance abuse. And at the end of the day, what you're getting, that, do, that dose of dopamine, is an addiction. And it's, you know, like <laughs> call my wife, <laughs> yeah. she'll tell you, she asks, why do you need to do more? And the truth of the matter is, I'm not sure, but I know that doing more helps me yeah. feel better. If there's one thing to be addicted to. It's making other people feel good. I'm okay it's, with that, that. There's worse I'm, things. I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. There's worse things. It, yeah, know, for sure. I, I have already added that to my list of other addictions. So this has been a really light, good, happy conversation. I want to take it into a well, dark place. Well, because I'm not really that bright. And <laughs> <laughs> no, but is, is so when, where, when was your low of low? What, what happened to you to make you get sober? Usually something bad has to happen. My low of lows. Yeah. You really want to know? Was it was it after losing the restaurant, 30 no, years old? No, 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 no. That, that's what prompted me to get sober. Yeah. Um, my low of lows, I'm on a three-day bender. Back then, there was Stouffer's Boil-A-Pouch. I don't know if there's still Stouffer's Boil-A-Pouch. 
I hadn't eaten in three days. I was so weak that lifting my hand up was hard. I got up off the couch and I walked to the kitchen and the only thing in my refrigerator was bottles of 100 proof Stoli vodka with black label, which the distributors gave me plenty of, and a box of Stouffer's Turkey Tetrazzini. And I ripped the box open, and I boiled some water, and I put the pouch in it, and I went to the couch, and I passed out. Oh, man. And I woke up later, I don't know how long, there was no water in the pot, it had been charred black, and on the bottom of the pot was this pouch that was charred completely, and the plastic had shriveled up. And inside was this turkey tetrazzini, and I took a fork, and I tried to, with shaking hands, tried to separate the plastic from the turkey Mm -hmm. to eat it. I knew that I was going to die. I knew that I was going to die. Forty years later, that's what I remember. My restaurant parting life became a life that was joyous at first, but one day, one day, I crossed a line. And instead of wanting, I needed. And that need grew and grew and grew. And then what got me finally there, right after that incident, um, I disappeared. And I went into a hotel room. How long... Or how far before you losing the restaurant was this? Was this right before you lost the restaurant? This was right before. Got it. Right before. It came down to a you or me situation. My partner didn't want anything to do with me anymore. Yeah. I stole from my employees. I would steal from the bartender because I needed more Coke. And I'd tell him your your drawer was $100 short. I stole from my partner. I stole from my neighbor. I hit rock bottom. And they found me in a hotel room, and they rushed me to the hospital, and that's where I had a DOA. My heart stopped. Wow. And I was revived, and so began my journey to sobriety. That was my dark spot. I lost the restaurant in January of 1983. I was last in the restaurant the beginning of December, 82. And... I woke up in a hospital, and my partner eventually said, I can't do this anymore. He bought me out, and I left. Okay. Um, what was... Sweet? I know, that was a charming story. You well, loved... Uh, uh, no, man, but it's real, and, it's, and uh, I'm, it's, you know, uh, I'm happy that they brought you back, my friend. Not you. just because this is a great interview, because you're, you're you. a great person. Um, so w- going forward, like what what was next for you? Cause you, you didn't just leave the, the hospitality industry. You stuck with it. No, no. Once I got sober, once I got sober, I, I actually went to AA and, um, and they told me I had to get out of restaurants. So here I am. I've just given up my drugs, which I loved. Mm-hmm. I just gave up my alcohol, which I loved. And now they're telling me I got to give up my work, which I loved. Right. And it wasn't, I couldn't do it. Right. So um, 
I took a job as a waiter and once again found my passion, once again found the joy of making people feel good, and I waited tables for a while. Did your health turn around pretty fast after getting sober? Were you it healthier? Took, it took a while. Yeah. It took a while. Yeah. It, it, it took some months. No yeah. question about yeah. it. I was weak and I was sick. Well, I think there's a little underlying lesson here from what I understand from AA. The big reason, or AAA, the big reason, is it AA? Is AA. It AA. Yeah. AA, sorry. Yeah. AAA um, is, is the that, road that's, the, that's what I, yeah. that's my membership. Right. Yeah. Thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, so I know that the so part of the science behind that is that addiction is triggered by places and people so if so like if you're if you're around people who are drinking if you're around alcohol it's a trigger so like you you have to almost remove yourself from the the habits the things that will make you drink for you being at work was a trigger it was a habit that you and you'd be at work and you'd drink did they get into why that was an option for you. I think that might be, but I think did, where I'm going did, with this. Is- it, did AA get into why I needed to quit? They said to me that you couldn't surround yourself by, with yeah. the environment. The environment was loaded with booze. My argument today is that it doesn't matter where you go. Yeah. Alcohol's there. Yeah. Go to the gas station. Yeah. Go to the grocery store. It doesn't matter where you go. We as recovering people need to learn how to live in a world that is saturated with alcohol. Yeah. We need to learn how to be in a world where there's drugs at yeah. every party. I think that's part of the yeah. issue is we, li- we literally live in a world that's saturated with alcohol. Self-saturated. And never before have we had that issue. Uh, it's a really it's a, it's a it's unique to the times we live in. I, I read this amazing book. I actually had the author on the show. It's called Drunk, and it's a history and anthropological approach to alcohol over time and why we we evolved because of alcohol. There's a lot of theories there, you know. Uh, so it's interesting. Like alcohol can be an amazing thing. It, there's a lot of beliefs that alcohol is the reason why we were able to coexist with each other in mass numbers because prior to like 10,000 whatever years ago, we were more hunter-gatherer small bands. And there was a lot of anxiety associated with being in numbers greater than 150 and we weren't equipped to handle it. Uh, but when you drink alcohol, your frontal lobe gets dampened. And that's the thing that makes you think you can't trust anybody. And uh, all these crazy things happen. So it actually allowed us to coexist in greater numbers. Because it broke numbers. down our inhibitions. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was a ritual we could share with other yeah. people. And now we have culture, right? Well, actually, that makes a lot of sense because if you think about the churches, the church is trying to bring people together. But literally people... Alcohol. Go ahead. Sorry. No, alcohol was part of the ceremony. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh and they believe that coming together to to produce alcohol also made people work together. And um, the thing is, we got so good at making alcohol that, and we've got not only you have to remember, like distilled alcohol is a relatively new invention, only a couple hundred years old. Mm-hmm. You know, we were never meant to have this much volume and this strong of alcohol. It's truly unprecedented. But if you're alive today, it's all you've ever known. It's normal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but like we have to look back into time. It's like we we aren't equipped to to have the amount of abundance and the, the level of strength of alcohol that we have today. We're saturated in alcohol. And I think that's a big reason why there's so many issues. 
I have to tell you, this is a place I've never walked before in this idea. But it makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And we are absolutely saturated. And I don't know how I don't know how we got there. You're giving one one reason. But the reality is saturated or not, we as human beings have the ability to make a choice to go there or not to go there. And that's what I focus. And on. that's the frontal lobe again. Yeah, you there know, you, go. You, can, yeah. you can over you can override it. Yeah. It's a very powerful thing when you I know how it works. I used to stand behind the bar and open up drinks for people, pour drinks for people, open up wine for people, look at them having a ball, and just remembering that's not for me. Right. You know. Right. This is a great time to take our first break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be back to kind of continue through your evolution as a restaurant professional. Recently on the show, you've been hearing it come up often, Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-Day Pilot Program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. We're back. And where we left off as far as where you were in your career, you're 30 years old. You're you're or 30 plus, maybe early 30s, 30. we'll say. Yep. Um, and you, you get sober. You, you recover from your bottom of the bottom, the, the rock bottom. You're, you're, you're on your way up. You're serving. And what's next? Like, we're... What's your plan? What's your? Do you have a plan? Like, what's going on? What's well, going- actually, the the decision was made that I couldn't go back to the lifestyle I was living. The decision was made by me, but I did not want to give up the love of serving that I had, and so I made a conscious decision to move away from the casual bar into the ultra high end fine dining world. And to do that, I needed to study. And here I'm saying to you in the break about how I'm rather simple, but I literally went about it. Wine was a very big deal. I remember laying in bed with a book from Alcoholics Anonymous and a stack of books on wines. And I studied those wine books night and day. 
And I started traveling and going to restaurants around the country that were more higher end than what I was used to. I remember <clears throat> stars in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. I remember Le Cirque in New York. I would go to places and see what was happening and fell in love with the idea of a fine dining experience. Yeah. I would love to go back to those restaurants. What is this going back 20, 20 years ago, right? No, it's 30? going back far. 25, far more, yeah. almost 30 no, years almost ago. Almost 30. 30 years yeah. ago, yeah. I would well, be... if you think that I'm 40 years sober. <laughs> so this is 1984, yeah. right. 83. Yeah. So I'm just thinking like, I would love to be able to go back in time and experience those restaurants then and to see what was the level of service then versus the levels of service now? Is that level of service almost, is it, is it not where it was or is it more abundant than what it was as far as where you find that level of service? You know, your service is expensive yeah. for people. You know, I, I just had this discussion with some restaurateurs. Uh, do you ever hear the restaurant Las Penas? Las Penas was a absolute landmark in fine dining in New York. You walked into Las Penas and there were flowers that were magnificent. You looked at art on the walls and you stopped in your track at how beautiful it was. Yeah. You sat down and you had Italian linens that just felt magical you had crystals and gorgeous china and silverware that just you got excited is that service or experience but time out yeah that was what the restaurants were like in the high-end fine dining world yeah now i won't even mention a name because i'll get killed but you could go to a restaurant like that and then you had almost animated service and it did nothing for you but you could go to a restaurant like that and see people who were looking out for your well-being and greeting you with the warmth and friendliness that palette became brighter more magnificent i'll say it okay charlie trotters mm -hmm. all right God bless Charlie, a, a, a brilliant chef. The service in that place never made me feel warm and comfortable. Really? It was animated. It was perfectly detailed, but it was service. Hollow. Huh? Hollow? Hollow. Yeah. To me. To me. And I had that discussion with Charlie. But How do you take it? Not well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've heard. I never, obviously, never not, met him. Well. Uh, but I heard that he was pretty rigid when it came to like the way he did. The things. way he did things were, had to be. And God bless him. He was a tremendous success in that. Yeah. But you went to other places where that palette was so beautiful, and as I just said, it was enhanced by hospitality. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a world where you were the most important person, you know? And I know there's an argument these days that the employee is the most important person, and I agree 
the employee is equally as important. There's no question about it. But we're talking about the hospitality as a guest. Mm -hmm. I came from an era where, you know, you were given little gifts when you walked out. Thank you for joining us. Here's a little something for tomorrow. Or you walked in and there were people there to greet you warmly. Is it the same today? Very rarely. A lot of it is economics because that whole palette that I'm talking about cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Today, young restaurateurs can't afford it. Yeah. You know? But can they afford to give hospitality? Yes. But I have a feeling that. The cost of opening businesses is so great they don't have the time to train people and yes. tell people what they think they need. And I think this is kind of around the time that now we're looking at like the early 2000s where you have people like David Chang come into the picture, right? Where he said all that stuff that you described before, the flour, the fine dining, the perfectly ironed you know, tablecloths, white tablecloths, all that stuff is operational expense, that's just not necessary to deliver hospitality. Well, that's that's what he said. There's no question yeah. about it. And it isn't. But unfortunately, it created a backdrop that encouraged yeah. hospitality, in my opinion. I think that's part of it for sure. I think the other part of it, too, is that it's psychographics. So if you're in New York City where this restaurant was, right, there's a, there's a demographic in that city that can afford this, right? No question. So the... I think the people who can afford this want the world to know they can afford this. And it's about being seen in restaurants that only I and a few other people can go to. And that feeling of being above a part of the elite is what you're selling. But let's (laughs) go to a small town where you can't, where you can't, but you can still put things in your rooms that make it look and feel warmer, right, right. all right? We have gotten to such a stripped down, when did that industrial phase where you have the pipes above the, the, the rooms, the open yeah, piping yeah. above yeah. the room, everything, the hardwood chair, the hardwood mm-hmm. thing. What happened that we went so far when you really can add nice warm touches with a simple little one flower on the table. Right. You can do those things. Yeah. You know, you don't need Zeitgo or you don't need um, the highest <laughs> quality. quality yeah, flowers. <laughs> the, yeah, you don't need, yeah. you need touches, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. But I would agree with you. I have been in restaurants that do not have any of the frills. And I have felt like I was a long lost friend who finally found their way home. Yeah. Which to me is the ultimate in hospitality. Yeah. So you're now working, not now, but on your timeline, um, you're, you're becoming a server, you're studying wine, uh, you got the stack of books, you're traveling the country, you're getting all these And I had a restaurant in northern Michigan. Okay. A restaurant called Tapawingo that was created by a car designer who knew nothing about restaurants but loved to cook. 
and it was on eight acres of property. He bought a house that was built in 1912 on eight acres of property on a private lake. It was picture perfect. And I drove to that restaurant one day because I'd heard about it, and I had dinner, and I had just a brilliant dinner. Brilliant. It was so delicious. And I had the worst service imaginable. Nobody knew what the hell they were doing. And the next day, I drove to the with my car packed because I was leaving to the next city. I did a long drive around. I did a long. I went to a treatment center after I'd been sober for a while, just to abbreviate the subject. And then I got in my car and started driving by myself. I I can relate with that. I drove all (laughs) over from Alaska to Florida. I have not. Wow, man. By the way, the the drive on the Trans Alaskan Highway back in the eighties was. If a moose was on the road, you didn't move that's until a, the a, moose that's a traffic moved. Jam. Yeah, that was a traffic jam. <laughs> Anyways, I, I came to this restaurant, and I was leaving the area, and I stopped at the restaurant the next morning, and I knocked on this guy's door. His name is Pete Peterson. And I knocked on his door, and I said, listen, I had singularly one of the best meals I've ever had with you last night but I have to tell you, your service sucks, and I can help you. And he said, come on in. And we sat and we talked for hours. And he said, will you work here? And I said, it'd be my honor. And I ended up being his partner down the road. How old are you now? How much time elapsed? 30, 1982 to 34. Okay. 34. Because that was 86. So a couple years had gone by. Yeah, that was 86. And um, Tapawingo went on uh, together as a team. Our first chef's dinner in the middle of a 400-person village in the middle of northern Michigan, five hours away from the the biggest city, Detroit, we created something together that was magic. Our first chef's dinner, a young kid by the name of Charlie Trotter, who had just opened a restaurant, a young kid by the name of Emerald Lagasse, who was just opening a restaurant, a young kid named Brad Ogden, who had a restaurant called Larkspur Inn in California. Our first chef's dinner in the middle of nowhere. We created a little mecca for culinary that people came from all over the country. And I love that place passionately. Today, Pete and I, he's now 80. We're closest to friends. We talk all the time. But I had to sell that for a couple of reasons. Number one, living in the country at first in early sobriety was really safe and it was really healthy Mm. but there came a point where i needed to grow and there was no more growing in a seasonal area yeah especially in the 80s yeah it it, it was it got tough and the winters were hell and moving to florida for three months in the winter became expensive Mm -hmm. and so i ended up selling out of that and doing the next project so what was the next project 
The next project was a restaurant called Tribute um, in Detroit, Michigan, where I was given a blank checkbook to create by a near billionaire to create a restaurant to entertain the auto industry. And if a you blank look, checkbook by it a was near a blank billionaire it, in it, the 80s. So that's, it, you know, it, you no, about this, inflation, was, in, this they, was in the 90s. Now. Oh, the 90s. Yeah, but still, with really inflation, good. they were a billionaire. Oh, there's no, there's no yeah. question. There's yeah. no question about it. Um, tribute, I say with great pride, was uh, if you look it up, uh, James Beard winning chef, uh, top restaurant according to Ruth Reichel. From this was Gourmet. your vision. This was your baby. This was my baby. And yeah. you said earlier when I got here, I don't know why Scott Shore told me that I told you I would be a good guest. I still don't understand <laughs> it. It's okay. I still, but this this was the vision to create a, a mecca in Detroit to find dining. Mm-hmm. And every detail. I remember I got this idea to do napkin rings with gemstones. And what we would do was we had them on a pole in the dining room. Yeah. And the light shone on them. We had these lights that shone on them, so they sparkled. Oh, that's cool. Um, but every great chef in America came to this restaurant. Uh, Eric Repair, Danielle Ballou, Tom Colicchio. How everyone. many of those napping rings disappeared? Uh, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Yeah, they were sold. They were sold immediately. <laughs> yeah. But we created this wonderful restaurant that became nationally recognized. That I, I am guarantee you, chefs that were there still talk about yeah. it today. But what we created was a network of people who were treated in a way that they loved to be treated. And they came back. A network of people who were treated Around the country. in a way that they loved to be they, treated and yeah, they came back. Yeah. So, so you're, you're talking about your guests. Yeah, um, absolutely. We'll get into that. Is there more to that than meets the ear or is there is there is it worth dissecting that a little bit more it, you know what do you do to make your guests feel good is yeah. still the bottom line Coming back of full what circle yeah. you know i'm gonna brag for a minute please i was in a restaurant the other night in north carolina in the mountains and i walked into the restaurant and somebody went oh my god Mickey, is that you? That somebody had been at Tapawingo in 1988 or 89. Wow. And they remembered what happened. Think back on all of the great experiences you've had in restaurants. You remember the people that help create the experience for you. What's that? My and so that quote? network. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you can't. You, you can't. You remember. You may not remember what they did, but you remember how they make you feel. Yeah. Or some paraphrase mm-hmm. form of that. Um, I have been blessed because of the hospitality I have gotten. Yeah. This is beautiful. So as far as this is the first restaurant that you opened. Right from scratch. Yes. Uh, no. We uh, up in northern Michigan. We had another restaurant, okay. a casual bistro called Pete and Mickey's. Got it. But it's in terms of, a, I'll tell you, you why I hated Pete and Mickey's. Why was that? I'll tell you, it was the coolest little place 
Pete's food was fabulous. Service was over the top, fun, relaxed, casual. But I hated it because one day I was on the street and a customer came to me and said, Mickey, we were at Pete and Mickey's last night and I didn't know it. Hmm. And I hated not being there for them. Oh. And so that was So your when, name was on the sign, but that, you weren't there. Right. That's when I decided to be a one restaurant person. Yeah. That's all I ever wanted. Yeah. I'm a maitre d'. You know, the let's best talk restaurant about tours dinosaurs. in the world are. Yeah. I'm a dinosaur. Yeah. I'm Look at Danny Meyer. There's no question about it. You know, quest, arguably one of the, the most successful restaurant tours to exist. Uh and correct me if I'm wrong, but he was a he was a major D. Yeah, Danny, when he opened Union Square Cafe, in he wasn't Grammar, the he chef. Was a, he was no, you know, like, ne- never. He maybe you could say he was the general manager to start, but I think he probably when outsourced. he opened Union Square, he was on the floor every single night. Yeah, yeah. every and Danny's ABC great. always connecting the yeah. dots. Yeah, Danny's fabulous. Man. Yeah, um, so was that the ABC? Always then I could then I could yeah, get dots, into yeah. a side tangent about how. The Food Network and how chefs became celebrities forgetting the people that did what I did. And as a result, down the road, you got restaurants where they said, I'm sorry, we don't carry salt for you. Right. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed where to be. Where the ego starts to get in the way where of the, the experience. Where the ego got in the way of the experience. Yeah. yeah. Um, so back to your first restaurant that you well your second restaurant technically that tribute. you tribute tribute um that you built from scratch with the uh pearl studded or not or emerald studded napkin rings yeah. um what was your evolution as a restaurant professional at this point what how did you have to evolve and transform and did you did you improve as a restaurateur at this point would you say i, I think so i think how? that i think that the most important thing i improved in is working with my employees and in what way? In the ability to listen to them, in the ability to truly understand what they needed to be successful. What, what did that evolution look like? Uh, I don't know. I've never really thought about it. It's oh, one, it. one. No, I, <laughs> I really didn't. It, it, it started to become a one-on-one interaction where we had conversations as opposed to me Early on in my career, this is what you're doing, this is what you're doing, this is what you're doing. I was managing. Eventually, my employees and I developed relationships that were really one-on-one. Let's talk about what you're doing. Let's talk about what you need. Let's talk about how I can help you. Yeah. You know? And I think that my views on employees radically changed uh, probably between Tapuingo and Tribute when I realized that they were every bit as important as me or anybody else in the restaurant. Why? You know, because they were the ones that executed the mission. Mm. You can't do it they by were, yourself. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Which is why I always say we is the single most important word in the English language. You know, it's not God for me, it's we. Yeah. I can't, but together we can. When we started a charity here called Feed the Need, I had this idea to start feeding people in shelters. I got the idea at 6.15 in the morning reading the newspaper about a shelter not being able to serve meals. And I walked down the street with my little dog and I said, well, I 
I can do something. And instantly it became, we can do something. I can't, we can. And in 24 hours, I had 56 restaurants signed on board to feed people. The power. The power of we. Yeah. 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 You know, I've looked at, and, and I'm talking about, you say, how did I evolve? My communication skills became better. I became a better listener. Mm -hmm. I stopped thinking I knew everything, which I did at one point. I stopped thinking I knew everything, and I started listening to the others. Yeah. And that was a major transformation. That's one of those seven habits of highly effective people. First yeah. seek to understand, then seek to be understood. Then seek to be understood, yeah. yeah it's powerful. Uh, you're collecting data. You know, People can give you all that information. It's information that you would never otherwise had if you just didn't stop to listen. Right. 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 Yeah. But I didn't stop to listen at the beginning. Yeah. I never really took in the information. Yeah. Let's take a quick break to thank our sponsors. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Ovation. Creating a great guest experience is the goal of every restaurant every time. But the ways to find out what's actually happening with the guests are terrible. Long surveys are annoying. Nobody likes to take them. Table touches aren't scalable. And every negative review costs you 30 new customers. Ouch. That's where Ovation steps in. Ovation gets happy guests to leave positive reviews, unhappy guests to share what happened, and it gives you specific ideas to improve. Using a simple two-question survey, guests either click a text message they get after placing an order or scan a QR code to easily answer, how was your experience? Happy guests leave five-star reviews and can be invited back with automated text marketing. And unhappy guests share privately what went wrong so you can resolve your concerns in real time. Then the magic happens. Ovation takes all the public reviews and all the Ovation private feedback and analyzes them in a single simple view so you can know exactly what to fix and where. It's frictionless for your guests, easy for your managers, and powerful for you. If you're interested in actionable guest feedback, visit OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. Unstoppable listeners get $100 off their setup fee. What are you waiting for? That's OvationUp.com slash Unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by One Huddle. One Huddle is a coaching and development platform using quick burst mobile games to more quickly and effectively level up and fire up your workforce. One Huddle provides a mobile first approach to preparing the modern worker, a library of 3000 plus quick burst skill games and the option to instantly create personalized content. One Huddle is changing the way restaurants develop their workers by transforming the traditional manuals in videos into deceptively simple, highly effective mobile games proven to level up workers quickly. Let's get into some of the facts. So with One Huddle, you can onboard employees 45% faster than traditional methods. And there's actually a study done by the University of South Florida that has proven you can train your employees 45% faster using games on One Huddle versus traditional micro learning and video based learning. This new and improved way to educate your staff will translate into increased sales because you're creating more consistency with the 
limited guest experience, both front and back of house, i.e. menu development, menu memorizing, POS, limited time offers, food costing, things like this. You're looking at a more engaged worker, too, because they're in competition with themselves and the entire organization. This stuff is powerful. Right now, head to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash one, like the number one, and huddle like a football huddle. And if you use that link, you can get 90 days access to One Huddle's game shop, which includes 3,000 plus on-demand skill games on everything from bartending to serve safe to the latest Amazon best-selling books and so much more. Again, that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash one huddle. And you have to use that link. This is a cost per acquisition agreement, meaning we get paid per lead that goes through that link. So if you are finding value in this podcast and you want to support, please use this link. And it's, it's a testament to how much we believe in one huddle that we're willing to do this. So thank you in advance. We're back. The the time now, in, along this journey, we're in the mid-90s. You opened your first restaurant, and it closed eventually. Uh, it, yes, absolutely. So what was the reason why that, that restaurant closed? Are you talking about... Dude, sorry, the, the, the restaurant that you opened on your own where you had the blank check. Okay. Remember, I had a blank check. Yes. It was not mine. I didn't own it. Yeah. I was given the power to do it. I eventually realized that the owners of the restaurant and I were on different pages. Yeah, this is important and, stuff. And, and, you know, this is not a criticism of their view, but their view wasn't mine. They, they had a different work ethic. Mm-hmm. They didn't care about the employee as much. Yeah. They didn't want to change as we needed to change. You know, you're doing a certain kind of tasting menu, and maybe the tasting menu's not working well. Maybe we can present it in a different fashion. I'm just picking hypotheticals. But it got to the point where, for me, working with them was no longer sustainable. Mm -hmm. And this is the power of making sure you sit down before you ever open with your partners and say, what are we doing? Who are we? Or, What's wait, the or waking up and finding out that you did sit down and everything they said <laughs> yeah. really as time went on. It wasn't true. wasn't true. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. So and they it, had the checkbook. <laughs> and, and, then, and then, you know, it, they're both past now. Okay. And they were alcoholic. And I couldn't... So the the end the ending day, and and you know I don't I guess I started so yeah. sorry people, um, the owner I was I was in the dining room talking to the head of Mercedes the CEO of Mercedes Benz yeah. was in Detroit, and I was having a conversation walking him out of the restaurant, and the owner was bomb drunk at the bar and he looked at me and he said who is that and I couldn't say that's the owner and that next morning I woke up 
and I said, I can't do this. Why couldn't you say that's the, oh, yeah. oh, the, uh, okay, I got it reversed. Yeah. I thought the owner said, who's that? No, the no. Owner the owner of Mercedes this, got it, it. A guy named Dieter Zeich. And you couldn't tell was, him who it was. I, I, I couldn't it. tell him who it was, and I was ashamed. That's a, that's a good sign that you should move on. Yeah, and, then, <laughs> and the next morning I called up and said, you know, I will stick around for three months. I want this. I've worked my ass off to build this place. Yeah. We've done phenomenal uh, gourmet magazine, one of the top restaurants in America, New York Times, the best restaurant anywhere between yeah. L.A. and You New just York. opened so many doors for yourself. Uh, you you know? can go anywhere. And so I just, I just couldn't. Do yeah, it. I couldn't. So let's let's zoom up to thirty thousand feet. I think we really kind of got an idea of what it is that makes you special. It's this 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 drive to deliver unmatched hospitality, warmth, generosity, seeing people, making them feel special. Uh, you still have a lot of... The ca- key to restaurant success. Yes. You still have a lot of career ahead of you at this point, but I want to make sure we get it. I mean, will you... This is the early ni- this is the nineties, right? Oh, so, oh yes, yes. And th- at this point in your your in your story, yeah. this is the early nineties. No, it's two thousand now. The two thousand two. Yeah. So about about twenty years ago. Yeah. Um, just do, without getting into any detail, what were the next stops along the way? Uh, taking time out to learn to be a, a good husband. Okay. How you much know, time? I didn't work for about close to two years. Okay. What was next? 20, 22 months. And then I get a phone call. And then I put out word in the industry that I wanted to uh, go back to work, but I didn't want to open a restaurant. I had people come to me with money. I didn't want it. I was okay. already 50 years old, okay. and I didn't want to do the work. Got but it. I loved being a maitre d'. Okay. So- and so I put out the word in the industry. I got offers all over the country. I got an offer in Vegas. Um, this is a great line. I love using it. Excuse my language. Uh, we're flying back from Vegas, and my wife says to me, okay, let's get this straight. You're a drug addict, a drunk, a gambler, and a whore. We're going to Vegas. Why? <laughs> and and the, God's honest truth. Two days ago, two days later, a chef named Bob Wagner was working in a restaurant in Charleston called the Charleston Grill. I had never considered Charleston as a possibility. I flew down to talk to them. I took a walk on the battery. I don't know if you've been down, down there, there yet. Yeah, we haven't. 6.30 in the morning, and the sun is rising behind me. And I looked at the city, and I called my wife on the phone, and I said, Sweetheart, if you're willing to come down here and look, I think I found us a home. Mm. The Charleston Grill was a place that I thought that I could help. The situation was a city that was on the beginning of a cusp rising to the acclaim. How did you know that? Because you felt it with the chefs you talked to. What's the year? uh, uh, 2004. Got it. 2004. You know, there was the potential for so much excitement. I met with some of the city chefs and talked with them before I accepted it. Um, the restaurant community wasn't yet tightly knit. I thought I could help with that, and I accepted a job here. I think I want to spend some time before we you know, start to think about wrapping up the conversation and talking about the things you want to create awareness about. I think one big piece of 
value you can offer the listeners is how do you bring together a restaurant community? Because one lesson I, I, I did it great. I'll, I'll tell you, you no, know, but like. there's there's so much value yeah. in that. And in in my travels, going to all the major cities across the country, talking to restaurant tours, it's the restaurant tours that are a part of a a network that support each other and collaborate and and step in when one person's fallen down, you know, it's, it's that family of restaurants and they all, you know, there's clearly always a network of restaurants in every city and it's more than just, I know them. It's, it's a support group. There's you know? no question about it. And, and it sounds like Charleston hadn't quite. No. And so, so yet. what I did, I, this is one of the proudest moments in my career. Okay. I came to work at the Charleston grill. It was inside a hotel. I'd never worked for a company that big. I'd never worked for a hotel. Um, I had the hotel throw a welcome to Mickey party. (laughs) I'm not joking. I planned every aspect of this party. And we invited every chef, owner, bartender, GM in the city to come and meet me. And we had beautiful food, and we had world-class. I went to all the distributors. I said, you're bringing your best. Here's what you're going to do. We had music in the corner, and every major restaurateur came to this event. And all of a sudden, there was a room with 150 restaurateurs who had never gotten together as a group. Mm. And that was the beginning of people starting to come together. What was the energy like in that room? Oh, it was the greatest. I met everybody that night. I shook every <laughs> hand. I touched every person. I handed every person my card. And it literally set the tone for the rest of my career. You said at the beginning they call me the godfather. Here. The the. the the unofficial mayor, mayor yeah. yeah, the unofficial mayor. But they called you the godfather uh, too, huh? The unofficial <laughs> mayor of Charleston. I literally made connections with everybody, and I sought everybody out. I reached out to everybody. Through my career here in Charleston, every new person that came to town to work in a restaurant, I reached out to and took to lunch and welcome them into the community of Charleston. Then charities. The biggest uh, charity is 2005. That wasn't the biggest event. Katrina happened. And I organized a charity event that 56 restaurants participated in. Bonding started. And now, I say with great pride, it developed and developed and developed. Now, a little bit, the new kids, it's not as much, but we're working to keep them together, introducing people to each other, looking at common needs, looking at helping each other when somebody comes to town. I think that's important. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's, I, it's, is, there, is it coincidental that Charleston started to explode right around the time Mickey came to town? Um, it's funny. I'm giving a speech tomorrow for Mike Lotta. I think I told you that downstairs. I, I say it's instrumental that um, that the city started to explode when Fig Restaurant opened. 
there are those that would argue that I had something to do with the hospitality and elevating the hospitality. I won't say it, but others will argue it. But beyond that, just the power of minds coming together. And when every when minds come together, they all improve. They all everyone, improve. Everyone yeah. benefits. Yeah. There's no question. And that's why the people who are at the top of every city I go to are friends with each other because they're working with each other. Uh, and yep. it's, it is an unfair advantage. Yeah. But you're just because they're talking to each other doesn't mean you can't be a part of that group. Don't don't think you can't talk to them. Don't think you can't approach them and ask for help because they are where they are because they're willing to help. So don't say it's, oh, there's a click over there. I'm not a part of it. Go be a part of it. Go ask somebody out to lunch. Go bring somebody in to your some If you've been there for five years and there are new people, go reach out to them. Be the glue. Be the first person Eric, to extend the olive Eric, branch. you have just said everything that I've said in, in the past beautifully. Thank you. Truly beautifully. Yeah. There's no, it's about we, mm-hmm. especially in the restaurant community. We need each other to grow. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Um, we are approaching the end of our time. Um, it's I know been so it, much It's fun. been a blast, and yeah. you've really been truly a lot of fun to talk to, but we're not done yet. Um, I do want to talk about, uh, so a part of what we do here in, in covering the journeys, the, the lives of these restaurateurs and what they've learned, we come to present day. You are retired. How, how would you identify your work status right now? Um, if you called my wife, she'd say, <laughs> no way. Um, I, 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 I guess I'm not retired. I'm retired from active restaurant work. The Charleston Grill. Yeah. yeah, I'm retired from active restaurant work. Uh, I am the executive director of Ben's Friends. I am the president of Feed the Need. I'm involved in a program to build a woman's shelter in North Charleston because there is a need. And I was serving lunch one day up there, and I saw a woman moaning and it was she was in labor oh my goodness but she was standing in line to get clothing for her baby Jesus. and it just it it tore my soul apart i'm doing a little bit of consulting you know so i guess i'm yeah not I, really I re- retired i retract my previous yeah, statement i'm not really retired <laughs> so um i guess what what do you but i brag about? about my retirement we, we got 17 minutes left yeah. together what do you want to talk about I want to talk about Ben's friends, to be quite honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have witnessed, I was almost a victim of alcohol and drugs in the restaurant industry. We invite people who don't know what they're doing, who think, let's do restaurants. We create a party atmosphere for our guests, but for our employees as well. And alcohol and drug addiction is rampant in this industry. Mm -hmm. We, according to the figures that you look at, have the highest or one of the two highest rates of alcoholism within our industry. I think it's a double. I think it's a, a, a. There's a multiplier effect here. The people that are that gravitate towards this industry are people who tend to have uh, 
abuse, oh, what's the word, a substance, ab- or not just addictive personalities. Predisposition. Right, what's that? A predisposition. Yeah, so yeah. It's a, I think it's a combination that the, I think, extroverted, outgoing people uh, who get, who like that dose of dopamine every time they make somebody feel happy, it's ing- it's one of the, the, the qualities of them, and I think that that was the original drug, right, is making people feel good. The, the natural chemicals that your body releases when you do something, and then over time, like, they call us the drunk ape for a reason. We started figuring out how to play with drugs and alcohol because we like the way it feels. I think it's a part of who we are as people that we 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 want to get that dopamine. We want to we want to get the good the feel good chemicals. And you get it when you walk into a restaurant. Yeah. And you get it when you're done with work and there's a cocktail there. So you you have these people who are, have a predisposition to it, and then you surround them with, with the alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. Right? And yeah. the, so, sorry, just keep going. From there. No, so, so you have a situation that yeah. creates abuse. Yeah. Plain and simple. We also are an industry where everybody's getting out of work late. Mm-hmm. You know, you get off of work at five or six o'clock, you got a couple hours to unwind. Yeah. You get off of work at 12, one in the morning, what the hell do you do? Mm. You drink. Yeah. But the bottom line is our industry is just. R- saturated literally with alcohol i'll be honest man i don't think i've ever publicly said this out loud like it's it's i think it's that element of the industry beyond the fact that i do love to like 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 you make people feel good right it was the i love restaurant people and i love the camaraderie the social aspect of being a part of restaurants it wasn't just a place to go to work it was a place to go to work and have fun and have fun yeah exactly yeah, yeah. um and that's i think one of the reasons why i love the restaurant industry so much is i yeah. love i love the, the work and, and i love the people who yeah, make it absolutely. so much so that i've made a life out of talking to these people you absolutely. know um but it was part of it is the party aspect yeah. the the having a good time the having drinks and, and socializing afterwards is a big big reason why i love this industry well and it's a big reason that other people yeah, love this but industry. i'm aware of it and i, I have I'm, i try to be careful like yeah. i i i i don't think it's gone to the point where i like i i've really fucked my life up you know or anything like that but i do like that doing pretty well right right yeah. but, I, but i'm very aware you look of my... good too for those that haven't seen <laughs> uh, i i i think um i i'm aware of my addictive personality i aware i'm aware that i that i i come from a history of people who are alcoholics um on both sides of the family um so like i i pers- like i intentionally will like stop myself from getting to that point but like because i like it too much that i don't want to have to quit you know what i mean right. like I think there's a balance that you have to find. Like, how do you? Yeah, but sometimes people cross the line where they can't get that balance back, mm. and that's the problem. You may be able to control and keep it in wraps, but somebody else can't. Remember earlier in the conversation, I said I loved it. I I uh, enjoyed doing it. But one day I woke up and I needed to do it. Mm. And that's what happens in this industry to those that succumb to alcohol. One day, it's a ball at first. Yeah. I had a blast. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did. I had a blast for years and years. But one day, it isn't a blast anymore. Yeah. And Ben's Friends was created out of one too many people not having a blast anymore. Ben's Friends was created for two situations. First, Ben Murray. Ben Murray was a chef. 
that was working for Steve Palmer, my partner in Ben's Friends, co-founder. And Ben's and Ben didn't show up to work one day, and they found him dead in a hotel room. Mm. And Steve was broken. We have seen too many people in our industry go out there and not be able to come back. Mm-hmm. They destroy their careers. They destroy their families. They kill themselves. Mm-hmm. And we got sick and tired of it. And this is where I become really serious because we are committed as an organization, which started here in Charleston with Steve Palmer and myself. We are committed to helping anybody in this industry who has fallen into the trap and now instead of wanting to, needs to use. And that is what our mission is. We have grown from one city to 30 cities for live meetings. We have national meetings every single day on Zoom, the all-powerful Zoom. We have nightly meetings. We have meetings for women. We have meetings for men. And now we're launching a meeting for family and friends of, of the recovering addict. Wow. So you ask what I'm doing now. Ben's Friends is my mission. I love the restaurant industry. It has given me a life that is greater than anything I ever imagined. And I want to give back. And we in Ben's Friends do that by helping people who are struggling find a path to sobriety. We don't tell them which path to go. We just help them on their way. Mm-hmm. Somebody's listening to this right now, right? And they're thinking to themselves, maybe I should reach out. Maybe I should get the help I need from Ben's Friends. What's that process look like? Go to the website, bensfriendshope.com. Send me a note. Okay. We will answer immediately. Yeah. And if it's not me, it will be somebody from around the country, most preferably somebody, A, in their geographic area and of the same gender. So Why is will, it important for the same gender? I was curious about uh, that. Well, you know, I, I don't know it's as important now, but I'm old and AA sort of burned that into me. Yeah. And what was the reason? The reason was because relationships in early sobriety can really screw somebody up. Mm-hmm. And people tended to get involved and then go back out when it didn't work out. Yeah. And so, you know, AA says don't get involved in a relationship if you're not in one for a year. I don't know if I believe that anymore. And I don't know if I think it's as important. But in this day and age where people are screaming about behaviors and it's it's safer. Yeah. I think that when you're if you meet somebody and the chemicals are flowing and you're looking to have a good time, I think we go to alcohol to kind of you know, ten X those chemicals. You yeah. know, like to get a better experience. It's, it's a I think habitual when you're dating too, what you do is you go out, you know. So I can see why it could be Dangerous, And then, hypothetically, you go out with somebody, you really like them, you go out five times, you think they're the greatest, and then they don't want to go out with you, and you're newly sober, and your emotions are just beat, and you get depressed, and what do you do? You say, screw it, I want a drink. Yeah. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Anything we haven't discussed in terms of uh, advice for people who might need support or, um, I don't know, anything? Reach out to somebody because you're not going to do it on your own. Yeah. Do not try to do it on your own. Mm -hmm. In 40 years of sobriety, I can count on one hand the people I know that have done it on their own. Mm -hmm. Get help. Ask others who have gone before you what they did. Yeah. Listen to others. At the beginning or earlier on, we were talking about how I started listening. When I first got sober, I wanted to do it my way. It took me six years to get sober. And those six years turned into a living hell. Once I started listening to others and asking for help, my life started changing. Yeah. So I, the most important thing is ask for help. Yeah. Don't try to do it on your own. Yeah. Um, we still have a little bit of time. And oh, I'm be, and my I'm being gosh. Greedy. And I don't even know what I've said And so I'm far. being greedy, so I'm going to stretch yeah. this to the, the full hour. Um, the Restaurant Unstoppable's mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. I mean, we're, we're definitely inspired after listening to your story. We're, we're empowered. I, whether you agree or not, I yeah. believe we're empowered. Uh, but uh, around this idea of transformation, uh, you kind of talked about how we could be better about with substance abuse for sure. But with somebody who is so observant, and I'm, I'm picking this up on you, you, like you pick up on details, you know, like you, you're curious, you listen. As somebody who's been paying attention to the industry for nearly for over four decades, where are where is the industry today? Versus where you think we should be or could be if we if we were a little more aware and conscious of the direction we're going in. You know, I think a lot of the industry today has been dictated by COVID. The, the reality is we're an industry that's shorthanded, horrifically shorthanded around the country. Yeah. Every day I'm hearing people talk about, I don't have the staff. I have to close a day a week. I have to close two days a week. Where we are is trying to find out a new model, what works and what doesn't work in the new environment with the new employees. I hear stories every day of employees who come to work and then say, you know what, I don't want to do this. I hear of no-shows in a rampant epidemic proportions, people calling out all the time. We have to learn a way to bring people back into the industry. We got a bad rap. What happened was people learned about being at home. So they left the restaurant and they went to a different profession. We lost how many millions of employees? Right. Really? I think it was seven or something. Yeah. Seven or four or seven million employees left the industry. They were forced to leave. They found something else and they, they liked it. They found something and they yeah. liked it. Yeah. How do we make this industry appealing again to others? And what's the answer to that <clears throat> question? I don't have that answer yet. Do you have ideas? I really do. It's the hours that we work. The services that we offer to our employees, you know, we went and I'm a criminal. I'm guilty. Yeah. I know I'm guilty. I had people work 70 hours a week. I had them miss weddings. I had but them miss But was it by Anniver- choice or did you have no other choices? Is that just the we, culture? We had no other choices culture. Yeah. And I didn't give them any kind of health insurance, any kind of vacation time. 
we need to start looking at what our employees are asking for and to keep them there. What does an average restaurateur, what do all restaurateurs have to do collectively to give the employee what they're asking for? That's a deep question that I don't know the answer for, but I think that the answer is the caring of the employee. Yeah. We have to give our employees the love that we give our yeah. our. And our customers. I think there's a universal. You were looking for one answer. What answer I have were you? Thoughts. I mean, the thought that I believe needs to happen. The one thing that needs to happen is I think restaurant owners need to communicate, create a new standard. Uh, but I think it the issue it goes be it, it, it extends outside of the four walls of our restaurants. I think there's we have conditioned the consumer to to expect uh, a certain cost or certain value for the, the services we, we we give and we can't do it based off of what those standards those those social norms are today i think we need to start charging more i think we need to recognize that if we want to be taken seriously if we want to recognize the value we offer society and the services we provide we need to charge collectively and we can't we have to stop undercutting each other i think the the way the reason we are where we are today is because people in menu engineering for the existence of restaurants is what were they doing down the street what are they charging down the street okay let's charge less and after 50 years of that we it's we we just give so much away you Char- know charging more is absolutely a okay as long as we're using the profits to, to better take to take care of but our staff but there are so many people out there that are doing so well and yet their employees yeah, aren't. Exactly. This is a whole conversation that I get into and people get angry about. Why? There comes because the people that get angry are the owners. Because they've they, worked so hard to have that. Who are you to take and, it away from Who me? are you to take it away from yeah. me? But the reality of the matter is we have to create a model that creates an environment for our employees that they feel that they're treated as well as our guests. And it's expensive to do that. And it's expensive <laughs> to. And it's I, like, why don't we have tablecloths and beautiful flowers anymore? It's expensive yeah. to do that. And I think, you know? yeah, I think, um, I think we could be, I think we have to stop being afraid of charging what we're worth. You know, but I think it has to happen together. Well, there's also a threshold. Let's be honest. There's also a threshold. Yeah. And that threshold is what the customer is willing to pay. Yeah. I went out last night with my wife. But the customer has an option, right? Like yeah. they're gonna chick they're gonna choose the lower one. So I think it needs to be a collective effort. I cut you short. I went out last night with my wife to a restaurant that was okay. I mean it was very casual. But the two of us, by the time we were done with two glasses of wine, we got a bill for $175. We didn't eat a lot. Mm-hmm. It was good, not great. That's a lot of money for 95% of the population to do that on a regular basis. Yeah. That was 175 before tip. So just think about it. I, I, you know, I do think about it a lot. Yeah. And I think that when you think about what other what people are spending their money, what are the other things people are spending their money on uh, well, with disposable uh, incomes? Yeah, you, you know, that argument's a good one. <laughs> that argument's a good one because a, I'm looking at concert prices. I always said 
We're in the entertainment business. We're, yeah, we create We are in the entertainment. Go to a concert, $500 now. Yeah. How much was it to see Bruce Springsteen? 500 bucks a ticket. I mean, people are spending at least 100 bucks a month on, you know, subscription-based models for their entertainment at home. You know what I'm at saying? At least 100 bucks. They are spending a lot I, of money on clothes because they want to look certain I, way in front of I other people. I agree with that, but that's it's, a whole It's cultural. a value-based thing. It's yeah. value-based. And but I you got to change the culture. But the restaurant industry has been changing the has been influencing society since day one. It's what we do. We're influencers. And I think we collectively need to influence the consumer and say, where are your values? Do you want to support your community or do you want to look good? Yeah. That's, you know, I, that's, I, I'll tell you, as you say that, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, as you say that, I, I'm thinking, I'm glad I'm retired <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> because it's a battle. Yeah. This is a, this is a cultural change that takes decades it's yeah. going to take time yeah but we got to start got to start yeah. yeah um this has been a really great conversation well I've really, i thank you for thinking that oh man i've loved it it's um, been a blast um we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out and i know you know this industry really well so if you can't just think of one person uh if you have a i mean i can only imagine the people that are going through your mind right now that you respect and admire but anybody you can think of that you think would be a great guest on the show call them out to be a future guest on the show i'd say steve palmer I love it. That's a Steve Palmer, Indigo Road. I love it. Starting something and working on creating a culture for his employees yep. that is sustainable. Beautiful. Steve, look out. I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And how can we connect with you? You already mentioned uh, Ben's Friends. Go BensFriendsHope.com. Yep. Um, and this is episode, I want to say, nine hundred and eighty-two or something. Eighty-two. Good memory. Yeah. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 982. We'll have a summary of today's discussion as well as uh, any links to how to connect uh, with uh, you know Ben's friends and what's going on over there. And I just cannot say thank you enough for, for taking the time. You already did. Day. Uh, I'm going to say it again. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. You are an inspiration, and there is no questioning. You are unstoppable. Thank you, Eric. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, Mickey Baxt, for coming on. And I, I gotta be honest, it's episodes like this. These are the episodes that get me geared up, is finding legends of the industry like Mickey and just providing a platform for these individuals to stand on, to share their amazing stories, to dump out their amazing knowledge and to be an inspiration to the next generation of professionals. And I think this, this approach of just being present, getting into a city, asking questions and just letting the show, the content, the, the, the research, the, I don't know, dare I say journalistic approach that we, that we try to take on with restaurant unstoppable. That's how we unearth these amazing people. And like, I just love it when it works out like this and uh, special thanks to Scott shore for helping us connect with Mickey on such short notice. And um, yeah, this was just great stuff. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And this, this approach to getting on the ground, going, driving to these communities, staying in these communities, it's not cheap and to do it with one other person with a, with a camera to help capture these stories is even more expensive. So if you're finding value in these conversations, I beg you, I, 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 we need your support and we can't do it without your support. So please support our sponsors. Anytime a tool or, or, or resources mentioned on the show, uh, we 
have affiliate links sometimes too. We can earn a commission if you if you follow up on leads through the show notes. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash whatever the episode number is and you'll find the summary and the links over there. Uh, five-star reviews go a long way. I love those reviews. They help with our, our ranking. So please leave those five-star reviews. And if you have not yet, head over to youtube.com slash restaurant unstoppable please subscribe to our youtube channel uh two hours can be a lot for some people and we get that so we have shorter condensed versions of the podcast over there in youtube shorts so if if you like the shorter content that's right up your alley and when you get there don't forget to subscribe thank you in advance if you have subscribed or if you're about to and we can't say goodbye without saying thank you to Sam Hall and Jared Parisi for helping make this podcast possible. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.